It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I love I didn't that. know you were but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Hey Jiggy, what's happening, man? It must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my trick shots there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Well, today is going to be a fun one. <laughs> it is hour number three of the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio broadcast. Thanks for tuning in to our big program from the KJAG Radio Studios in downtown Hutchinson, Kansas, where live as live can get Monday through Friday, 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, 1 p.m. Mountain Standard. 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com on the TuneIn apps and Radio Loyalty. Our premium podcast is available for $5 a month at JiggyJaguar.info. Selected editions will appear on iHeartRadio, 50-plus AM FM stations in the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network. Our telephone number, 267-22-JIGGY. And today... We have a special, uh, our special hour number three here. This is going to be very, very entertaining. We have IQ Al Rizzoli, our Wednesday regular. He joins us each and every week. And then um, we also have my good friend Scott Smith, who joins us each and every Thursday on our program. And um, he's a freelance contributor to the Leaders in Success column, Investors Business Daily, available at investors.com. He also has... Two great books out there, ExtraordinaryPeopleBook.com, for those who want some inspiring role models and, and, and people of that nature. But the one that we're going to be talking about today in, in detail, plus talking about uh, some, some of the different things in the, uh, the religions, is God Reconsidered. The book is available at GodReconsidered.com. And um, Scott... A couple weeks ago, and we had you on our Thursday, our Thursday spot that we do with you each and every week. Um, we were talking about uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. We were talking about uh, the the Muslim faith and uh, Christianity, and your thoughts on Islam. Immediately, I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> I've got to get you on with IQ Al Rizzoli. <laughs> so today, we've got that. <laughs> and, uh, Scott, I want you to kind of, uh, for, for, for those of uh, the, the listeners that weren't here when you did your uh, your, your your spiel, I guess, on um, the Muslim faith, I want you to go ahead and, and repeat that for everybody. And then I'm going to let IQ jump in, and we're going to have a, a nice little discussion today about uh, Christianity and Muslim faith and just all sorts of faiths in relation to God. So, uh, Scott, go ahead and jump in there, my friend. Okay, I think technically it's called a rant. 
Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, but le- but let me key this up this civil discussion um, in in a way that um, Al and your listeners, yes, uh, to, in this audience will understand my approach. Okay. Uh, just kind of the big the big picture, and then we can get down to specific issues. Okay. Um, my book, God Reconsidered, is kind of the story of my 25-year spiritual journey from being a, a semi-Orthodox Christian up until my 40s. And um, I uh, traveled the world looking for something that would really answer my spiritual, philosophical, intellectual needs uh, better than what I grew up with and what I was familiar with. And I came to a lot of surprising conclusions. Now, as we talked about last week or so, um, I went to India and I have talked with leaders of Buddhism and Hinduism, and these are fashionable faiths for a lot of Americans. And in my book, I discuss why, very specifically, I don't think it's likely that their theologies describe the way the universe really is. And, and I mention this because those are the fashionable things with intellectuals and liberals and so forth is to embrace Eastern religion. At the same time, I show why what I call orthodox atheism, which is this militant version that says there's absolutely not only no God, but no supernatural, no afterlife, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I show how the hardcore atheists really don't know what they're talking about uh, when it comes to religion, the supernatural, and so forth. So having set that stage, what I wanted to say with regard to the monotheistic faiths is is basically this. I think that anybody who follows any spiritual philosophy broadly defined uh, will find benefit. I'm a big believer in all my interviews with CEOs and world leaders. I just did Vicente Fox of Mexico and Richard Branson and this sort of thing. We always get into a discussion about the bigger issues because, you know, once you're rich and famous and powerful, you know, you want Uh, you start to ask the bigger questions about kind of the next level of the quality of life. So I do think all spiritual paths, broadly defined, have their benefit. Now, with regard to Islam, um, I recommend people read a fabulous book, and I'm sure Al will agree with me, uh, Karen Armstrong's Muhammad, A Prophet for Our Time. And she writes very knowledgeably and sympathetically and she points out that Muhammad was, for his time, not particularly warlike at all. Um, some of, you know, I think that the kind of extremism that you see in some parts of the world does not in any way reflect what 95% of Muslims believe. And I say that having spent a week with the number two prince in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh. Uh, I've been, spent three weeks in Turkey. I've been to Egypt, Uzbekistan, Malaysia, other places. I have a very high regard for the practice of Islam because, like no other religion, it disrupts daily life 
in order to force you to make a choice between whether you are actually going to be a hypocrite and, you know, do other things or, you know, follow the practice of remembering the purpose of life and kind of where your spiritual values are. And so I came to have a great deal of respect for the value of Islam in reminding people, you know, what their higher values are. And um, I think it does it uniquely. And surprisingly enough, those five prayers a day um, not only have a positive value, but they don't really disrupt daily life once you kind of get into that rhythm. So that's kind of my broad statement about religion, GodReconsidered.com, and a little bit about Islam. And I'd be interested in kind of hearing from Al on his... Oh, I cannot wait for this. IQ, (laughs) with all this being said, jump in there, sir. (laughs) This is going to be so much fun. It's going to be a deep jump. (laughs) Look, uh, Karen Armstrong point of view regarding Muhammad and Islam is the exact opposite of what I have come. I spent 30 years studying it. I studied in Arabic. I live in Iraq. I, li- I studied in Iraq. My, Arab- my language is Arabic. Karen Armstrong is completely and utterly out of her mind when she talks about Muhammad as peaceful. Muhammad was the exact opposite of what the pagan Arabs were. The pagan Arabs were decent human beings. They were law-abiding human beings. I mean, like most people on the desert or in the nomadic uh, areas, they always pondered each other. But they didn't go fighting in armed groups. They fought man to man. The best fighter of one group fought the best fighter of the other group. Whoever wins takes over. Everything in Islam is not peaceful. Every single item in Islam is not peaceful. You were impressed by the five uh, prayers a day. Five prayers a day, that's a lot of praying. But it's not because they understand their prayers. It's not because they are uh, free not to pray. You're You're not free not to pray. In Islamic countries, Sharia controlled, you are not free not to pray. If you don't pray, they'll kill you. ISIS has been doing it regularly. There are one and a half billion Muslims in the world. 1.2 billion don't speak Arabic, don't read Arabic, don't understand Arabic. They read the Quran in the Arabic language, not understanding a word of it. They memorize it. I don't say that because they can read it in Urdu, for example. They can read it in any other language, and you can still understand it. But if you read the first nine chapters of the Quran, there are 114 chapters in the Quran. If you read the first nine chapters, and you come and tell me that Islam is a religion of peace, um, I'd be very upset. I'd really be very upset. Because there is nothing peaceful in Islam. You know, I'll give you an example. Several Muslim congressmen swore loyalty to the American Constitution and people on the Quran in Congress. That President Thomas Jefferson was studying when he was dealing with Muslim piracies against the fledgling American Republic in the Mediterranean Sea. I bet 
that not even 1% of Americans know. Why? Jefferson studied the Quran, what conclusions he came to, and how he helped ending Islamic piracy in the Mediterranean Sea forever. Funnily enough, both Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were sent by the Congre by Congress to be ambassadors in Europe. And while they were in Europe, these future United States presidents met with the Muslim Barbary ambassador and asked him why his government was so hostile to the new American Republic, even though America had done nothing to provoke Islam with any such you know, animosity. Ironically, Ambassador Aja, if I remember the name, answered them and he told them, and they reported it to the Continental Congress, by the way. He told them that everything the Muslims are doing is mandated in the Quran, that any human being who is not a Muslim is a kafir, a beast, to be plundered, to be raped, to be murdered, to be slaughtered, to be subjugated, to be enslaved. And the Muslims who do that and die while they're doing it end up in Muhammad's whorehouse version of paradise. I want to ask Mr. Scott, please tell me, how is it possible that Muhammad was a decent man? He wasn't decent. He was a mass murderer, a pathological liar, a child rapist. No, a child molester and rapist. A serial predator upon women and the head of the first organized crime syndicate in human history. Who said so? Every verse in the Hadith says so. Every verse in the Quran says so. Only you've got to sit down and read it. And as I said, read the first nine chapters. It's mind-boggling. Why the first nine chapters? Because chapter five and chapter nine, actually, are the last two chapters of the revelations of, the, of Muhammad. The Quran is not written, is not uh, composed in the sequence of revelations. That's another thing against the Quran. It's not the sequence no, no, of revelations. No, no, I'm, I'm quite... Yeah, I'm quite familiar with that part of it. You don't need to convince me on, on that point. So let me just clarify yeah, I mean, something. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to respond because, um, first of all, of I'm very, very familiar with the history of the Barbary Pirates because I've written about Jefferson and Madison and the piracy, uh, Stephen Decatur and all that. Era. Yeah, yeah. Now, the number, the number one thing to remember is that the person that you quoted who said that Islam justifies rape of infidels and all that stuff, yes, that is the philosophy of ISIS and of the extremists. But of the 1.6 billion Muslims, very few of them are advocating that kind of point of view, which is why many Muslim countries are against them. It is a an interpretation of Islam that 200 years after the Barbary pirates, most Muslims have rejected. Now, you know, it's just like the Old Testament. Um, you know, you can say that uh, the Old Testament, which Muslims embrace, justifies genocide because the, the uh, the Jewish people, or Israel technically, came in and God seemed to authorize genocide against the pagans. And so, yes, there are things you can go back, and certainly actually after 
Mohammed, when most of the conquests occurred, people can uh, cherry-pick scriptures, and certainly the Hadith, which are the alleged sayings of Mohammed, which I think scholars don't take too seriously because they were compiled a long time later. But yes, you can go through the Quran and you can interpret uh, verses in certain ways, and certainly the Hadith to justify slavery, war, any number of things. But just to be clear, there is no consensus from the majority of modern Muslim scholars or modern Muslim believers that the non-believers should all be raped and killed and put in slavery. That is a strong vocal minority. I think the good news about ISIS is that when you see the result of that philosophy taken to its logical conclusion, I think you will find that most Muslims are going to end up uh, revolting against that and doing whatever it takes to put down that extremist thing. And, and having you know, been to Saudi Arabia, and I know the Wahhabi philosophy, which is you know, very reactionary, I think in the end this is going to be a good thing for Islam because they're going to realize that by tolerating uh, you know, many of these extremists, now they really have to make a choice between good and evil. And I think the majority of Muslims will end up realizing that they can't tolerate this kind of extremism anymore. Uh, Scott, with all due respect, a Muslim is reading the Quran. They're not reading the Hadith. Muslims read the Quran. They don't necessarily read the Hadith. And if you can show me a single Imam, one single Imam, who can refute anything I say about Islam, I'll pay him $200,000. Well, I'll give you an easier challenge. I'll give you an easier challenge than that. Which Muslim nation today uh, openly advocates the enslavement and rape of infidels? Publicly? No. Yes. Listen, there's no thing but public. It can't be private. If it's, if it's private, then how do we know it's true? Until recently, Saudi Arabia and Mali were, ex were taking slaves. I mean, this is not top secret. Listen, a Muslim is reading Al-Tawbah, chapter 9, 20, and it's nothing to do with interpretation. This bullcrap of interpretation doesn't exist only in the mind of Westerners. At Tawbah 9, chapter 9, verse 29 says, Qatilu, fight, those who believe not in Allah nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which has been forbidden by Allah and his apostle Muhammad, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, Islam, even if they are of the people of the book, Christians and Jews, until they pay the jizya, which is an honorary tax for not being a Muslim, with willing submission, and feel themselves humiliated. You mean to tell me a Muslim reading this, he's thinking, oh, no, it doesn't justify this here. But that's not true. A fundamentalist Muslim reads the Quran because he understands the fundamentals of his belief system. And this well, is wait a minute, wait a minute. You just got through saying that you can't name a single Muslim government in the world which publicly 
which is the only relevant thing here. We can't talk about something whispered in somebody's ear or an imam in the desert of Saudi Arabia, that there's no government today that is Muslim that advocates the kind of extremism that you're talking about. Now, that's a separate the point I'm making. The government, the imams do. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. The government is not the one who rules. The imams are the ones who rule, and every imam you can talk, you can bring any imam, any imam, and he who who can tell you otherwise is a liar. I think well, wait a minute. What do you mean by rule? Define rule. If the imams are extremists and the imams rule, then why can't they control the public policies of their governments? What is the government? Which government takes takes the Yemen? Who is ruling the Yemen? Who is ruling Libya? Who is really ruling Iraq? Okay, Who I'll answer. Libya? I'll answer that. I'll, I will answer yes, that. Answer. Okay. Yeah, My question was, name a government. So when you have civil chaos, like in, like in Libya and Yemen, then you can't really apply that because there's no government. But let's step back a few months when there was a government in Yemen and there was a government in Libya, even if it didn't, uh, you know, govern the whole country, there's no Muslim government in modern history that advocates the kind of extremism. So if the imams have control, then here's what you would see. You would see Sharia law applied in its most extreme interpretation. And there, as you know, there are many schools of Sharia but in the most extreme interpretation, instead of having a couple of hundred people uh, beheaded in Saudi Arabia each year, you'd have a thousand or ten thousand for the minor infractions. Okay, the reality is, even among the extremists, as you can see uh, in Iraq and Syria, there are differences of opinion between Al Nusra and ISIS and so forth. It's not like there's one monolithic uh, extremism and there's an imam pope who declares what the doctrine is. You can see right now what the attempt is by ISIS to establish that kind of medieval thing you're talking about, and it's being fiercely resisted by all Muslim governments and will continue. By whom? We have Sharia law in Pakistan. We have Sharia law. Wait a minute. We have Sharia law in Pakistan. We have Sharia law in Indonesia. We have Sharia law practically in every. Are you saying? Are you saying that it is? Are you saying that? Wait a minute. Are you saying that Indonesia and Pakistan right now are practicing the most extreme form of Sharia law that ISIS does, and they're beheading people by the dozens every day? Well, you want two hundred thousand people dead? Is that what you mean? I'm not. I mean, what do you mean what? I'm asking you. Are they are they the yeah, caliphates in rivalry are, with ISIS? They are buying it. They are killing people every day, every day in yeah, Pakistan. But not by not by the thousands, wait, wait, not by the thousands the way ISIS would. I don't need a thousand. I don't need hundreds. The fact that they follow Sharia is end of conversation. What does Sharia say? Sharia says you. Follow the Quran letter by letter, read word by word. What are we discussing? Numbers? I'm not interested in numbers. No, no, well, I am, and I'll tell you why. Wait a minute. You're acting yeah. as if, you're acting as if there is only one extremist inter, uh, way to read the... the, the uh, only one Quran. 
There is one Quran. No, no, no. There are no verses of Quran. Wait a minute. Really? Now, this is the same. This is the same kind of nonsense I hear from evangelical Christians who say the the Bible is the word of the Bible is the word of God. No, no, wait, wait a minute. I come from Iraq. So don't tell me about that, that doesn't, listen, you know why that doesn't, uh, Mr. Al, you know why that doesn't mean anything? If you're being from Iraq, if you're being from Iraq, were any, uh, anything in terms of authorizing you to speak for all Iraqis, they would all agree on what the facts are about the Quran. And as you well know, most Iraqis disagree with you. Really? Are they, is that why they're killing each other? They're well, killing that's a different other. issue. Oh, Sectarian... Wait, wait, wait a minute. They are killing each other. ISIS, when they commit murder, they are quoting from the Quran. And you're telling me they are wrong? Why are they wrong? I'll tell you why. How what? are they extremely They're quoting in chapter and verse from the Quran, wait a and minute. you're telling me they are wrong? Yeah. What I'm telling you is most Muslims disagree with ISIS. But who is most Muslims? You know, it's like okay, you're telling me okay. most Germans disagree with... Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me the same thing. Most Germans disagree with Hitler. What does that mean? Most well, I've lived Germans in Germany. I've lived is a democracy. It's not the run by ISIS. And I've been, I spent three weeks in Turkey. Nobody's going to say that this is run by Sharia law. Uh, I spent time in Uzbekistan and Egypt. Neither of them are run by Sharia law. Now, what you're saying is I, I actually agree with you on one thing, and that is that whether you want to call uh, the, the extremist, let's say, the ISIS position, whether you want to call that uh, the accurate interpretation of what the Koran says, or if, like most Muslims who are not do out doing suicide bombings, you say that that's an extremist interpretation, I would agree with you on one thing, and that is that this is evil. Whether you happen to think, as you apparently do, that most Muslims uh, think that this is God's word and the way things should be handled in the real world, uh, or whether, as I believe, that it's a very small minority, but very dangerous, we agree that How this small is, is a minority. Thing. God, do me a favor. How small yeah. is a minority? What do you think? Please, give me an idea. One percent? Well, okay, let's let, uh, out of one point... Out of 1.6 billion, mm. uh, let's see, yeah. ISIS has probably about 30,000 fighters right now. And uh, mm. you're not seeing most Muslims heeding the call to arms to come and set up the caliphate. Uh, but well, here's 20, the thing. So far. Wait a minute, 20,000 already left, and many countries are not allowing them to leave. So yes. let's get this straight. Do you, you many listen, Al, do you, Al, do you <laughs> honestly think... Would allow them to leave. Al, do you honestly think that most Iraqis, who you know very well, are ready to join ISIS? No, I never said that well, most Iraqis are willing to join ISIS. 
No, they're of course not. They, that doesn't change the, the fact that there is no such thing as a radicalized Muslim. When the leaders of Europe are talking about Muslims are being radicalized, they don't know sh crap about Islam. You don't radicalize a Muslim. Do you know who said that? The Turkish Prime Minister, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Sure. He is yep. a foremost Muslim, a Sunni Muslim. When he met this recently with the European Union, do you know what he said? It is, it is, he said, it is unacceptable for us Muslims to agree with such a definition as a moderate Muslim. He said that. He said Turkey has never been a country to represent such a concept. Moreover, he said, Islam cannot be classified as moderate or not. Islam is Islam. Well, I okay, but then, then you're, but you're contradicting yourself. Yeah, here's where you're contradicting yourself. And this is, let's take, let's take Erdogan's statement at face value. Okay. Now, having spent three weeks in Turkey, I can tell you that Turkey has zero similarity to the ISIS caliphate, and the I think we would agree the ISIS caliphate represents. What? But Islam in Turkey overruled the secularism of Kamal Atatürk. Prime Minister Erdogan completely changed the republic from being secularist to being Islamist. What are we discussing? Yes, and there's, there's my example right there. He, he's not even part of NATO anymore. He's not part of NATO. He wouldn't allow American aircraft to fly from Turkey to destroy ISIS. What are we discussing? What we're discussing is the fact that you just you just got through saying claiming that Turkey is an Islamic republic yeah. now. He took it away from Kamal Ataturk's <laughs> secularism, right? And look at Turkey today. Turkey is a modern, westernized, largely secular society. What are you talking about? By whose standard? They are now victimizing the Christians and the Jews in Turkey, and you're telling me. When you say victimizing, would you would you like would you like to quantify the victimization that's going on in Turkey right now? Yes, they're terrorizing them. Okay. Terrorizing. Could, you, could, could you explain that? Could you explain the, the that? Jews of, the Jews of Turkey are leaving, and the Christians of Turkey are leaving. Oy so what vey, are we discussing? Oy vey, oy vey. Listen, <laughs> but this half, my relatives, half my relatives are Jewish, okay? So I, I know the situation quite well, and, and there, is, there is no man. There are 150,000 Jews in Iraq. They have nothing now. Wait a minute. They had 150,000 Jews in Iraq. These are the original Jews from the time of the Babylonian exile. None. They have no Jews left in any Muslim country. What are we discussing? Well, let's they talk leave? about it. They were forced to leave. Let's, yes, let's but they were, not, they were not forced to leave from Turkey. There's no mass migration really? of Christians. Oh There's no mass migration. What, There's what, no mass what, persecution. What, what, Look at are you are you kidding Turkey. me? Are you really kidding me? Are you kidding me? For God's sake, Scott, what are you discussing? The Jews in Iraq, they impl implemented. I didn't talk about Iraq. Every, everybody, 
Everybody is fleeing Every Iraq. Every Muslim country did the same thing after 1948. What are we discussing? Well, that, look at, that is another issue which I did not address. Yes, the Jews have had a very bad uh, position in the Arab world. I would agree with that. Not okay? only Jews had a very bad position. Christians also had a, because they yes, are fine. I will Yes, I will stipulate that, but there is no current mass migration of Christians and Jews from Turkey. There's no mass slaughter going on in Turkey. There are no Jews left to mass migrate. There are none then, left. Then, then who's, been, then who's being persecuted that you're talking about? Now they're being Christians. They said when the Jews would be persecuted in, in Iraq, in my country, we had a saying. They had a saying. After the Shabbat comes after Sabbath comes Al-Ahad means after Saturday the day of the Jews comes the day of the Christians and the turn of the Christians is now I told you in the year 2003 we had 1.3 million of the oldest Christian communities on earth today we have less than 200,000 and they're leaving they're yeah, but you're talking about Iraq I never I never said Iraq What did the Turks do when they took the eastern part of uh, Cyprus? What did they do? Well, they that, had the their, they that had all to the do with their... They turned all the Christian churches into mosques. What are we that discussing? Had to do, that had to do with the historic to do. struggle. What did they have to do? Why did they have to do that? Because well, they, the historic... they exterminated 1.5 million Christians, Armenians, and they say, no, they didn't do that. Yes, but that was not the Islamists. That was, that was Kemal Ataturk. No, no. He was an, enemy. He was an enemy of the Islamists, as you know. <laughs> he was let, let me, let's, the Islamists, but he was a Muslim. <laughs> let, let's put it this way. Okay. So why did he murder one and a half million Armenians and Greeks? I, well, first of all, have, let, let me finish my comment. As you know, there's been a historic struggle between the Turks and the Greeks that has nothing to do with religion, because Ataturk was not by any means an Orthodox Muslim, okay? The Turkish-Greek struggle goes way back, and I've been to Athens, and I've been to Kemal Ataturk's museum, and I know a fair amount about this stuff. It wasn't principally a religious issue. It was a political struggle between the Ottoman Empire originally and then, and then Ataturk's modern Turkey and the Greeks. And, of course, that goes back, you know, into Persian times, but before Ataturk there was even and Islam. Turkey and the Ottoman Empire took this territory from the Greeks in the first place. Yes. The Arabs took my country, Iraq. Yeah, wait a minute, let's get this straight. Islam is a military machine. The Arabs, they speak about Israel, that, they, that Israel belongs to them, or Palestine belongs to them. Why does it Palestine belong to them? They conquered this land. They took it from the Byzantine Empire. They conquered Iraq from my country, from the Sassanid Persian Empire. Well, how does it okay, belong to them? Okay, then let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Yeah, let me ask you a question, and I've, I've written about the, uh, the conquest of Constantinople. Uh, when was the last time that the Ottoman Empire expanded? 
Well, at the gates of Vienna. There you are. And, and so we're talking... What do you mean? Yeah, there you are. The only reason those bastards didn't expand any further is because the European nations have military power greater than theirs. Why do you yes, think but, the, the Ottoman Empire collapsed? Right, but, but that's what? my point. From the, from the 1600s, the, the Ottoman point? Empire... The yeah. Ottoman Empire was shrinking and weak, and it was called, by the time okay. of World War I, it was called the Old Man, uh, you know, because it was so weak okay. it was ready to fall apart. Yeah, the sick man so, the, so, um, so what? Yeah, so what is they haven't been conquering other countries for many hundreds of years. The Ottomans really? were not a big Well, they're problem. conquering it now. They're conquering Europe now, not with armaments, but with immigrants, with illegal immigrants, with legal immigrants, today, uh, funnily enough, you're talking about Germany. A few days ago, Merkel was uh, entertaining some Muslims for Ramadan, and she said that Islam is part of Germany. I sent an email to her office. No, you're wrong. Germany is part of Islam. Islam is not conquering with weapons now. Islam is conquering with the number of people going in and the number of people they can bring up in birth rate. That's how they're conquering. Yes. Well, but still, still Islamic, the Muslim percentage in Germany is still very small. Why? Three million? You call it small? Yeah, out of six million. Three million? million you call it small? You know, it's funny. It's funny. Of, the Jews of Germany were loyal Germans. They said before Hitler that they were Germans first and Jews second. They were True. exterminated. Instead, they brought yeah. the Muslims. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, wait, wait, they destroyed wait, wait, the most productive, most, inventive, most creative people and brought in the least productive, least inventive, least creative people. Unbelievable. Sure, but they, listen, when I was living there, they brought in Turks to do the street cleaning and the kind of things that the Germans didn't want to do. Yeah, yeah. It's not... It's yes, not that far off from what the U.S. does, you know. The U.S. has an, uh, has an immigrant population that does kind of the underclass jobs. It's the same thing in Germany. The Germans don't want to clean their streets. And they've got 3 million immigrants Correct. out of uh, 60 million people. Correct. Correct. But let me tell you something. America accepted immigrants from every country on Earth. America is the melting pot of every country, every race, every color, every intelligence, every belief system on earth, 100%. Beautiful. But the only people who will never ever integrate are Muslims. The only people who will never assimilate are Muslims. Why? Because they are forbidden by the Quran from doing so. Forbidden, by the way. It's very simple. It's not complicated. So... Well, but just let, let's somebody go. somebody is not going to blow you up today, <laughs> okay. just because they're not blowing you today, tomorrow they will blow you up. Well, it's a point of view, Al, but you have to admit that there are very few Muslims that, that are public figures other than the ISIS types who would agree with you. Now, you might turn out to be right in the long run. <laughs> Every with imam agrees with me, by the way. I promise Not you, every imam. every imam on earth agrees with me. The public so you've spoken to all of them. For no, no. Well, listen. I listen if you've to had, all of them. If you've had, no, no, no. If you've had, no, no, no. I speak to all of them. 
you know, if you've had private conversations with all of them, then I can't verify that. No, no, please, let me explain something to you, far superior. And CC, at the end of last year, beginning of... Hello? Hello? Did we, uh... Yeah, I'm I'm here. You're here. <laughs> what happened? I think, I mean, maybe Allah cut him off. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. 41 minutes after the hour, it is the uh, world-famous well, Cheeky Jaguar radio program. Scott Smith with us today. Of course, you know, you know Scott from our Thursday conversations. He's on our uh, broadcast each and every Thursday. He'll be with us tomorrow. For, uh, he's a freelance contributor to the Leaders in Success column, Investors Business Daily, Investors.com. Of course, also ExtraordinaryPeopleBook.com for those who want some inspiring role models. And, of course, GodReconsidered.com for spiritual seekers only. And, um... Let's see. Let's try this. I'm gonna see. We're gonna. We're actually gonna. We're gonna take a break, and uh, we are going to try to get IQ Alrazoli back on the phone and uh, finish this up. A wild, wild hour number three. It is uh, world famous Jiggy Jaguar. Show back here to be focused. program every once in a while I find myself sometimes marking out to my own radio program 44 minutes after the hour thanks for joining us today Scott Smith with us today IQ Al Rizzoli we're trying to get the trying to get him back in here he always calls from an unknown phone number so I'm never able to get in touch with him I just he has to call us we have to put him back through but uh, a spirited conversation with IQ today it's weird in conversation with the great Scott Smith. Scott, um, we've got 15 minutes left to go here. Uh, give me your thoughts and feelings on 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 this hour and uh, the conversation you've had here with IQ. Go there, my friend. Here's my here's my impression of him. Um, okay. He he is kind of like the atheists who interpret Christianity based on the most fanatically evangelical types, and the evangelicals say. The Word of God is not interpreted, it just is. And so the atheists love that, because of course there's a lot of stupid stuff in the Bible. And uh, so he loves to say that, you know, all the imams agree with ISIS, and the Quran is the Quran. there's no interpretation and stuff like that. But like I say, if you actually look at the real Muslim world of 1.6 billion people, they live in relatively functional democracies like Malaysia and Indonesia and Turkey, and uh, most Muslims are not out suicide bombing. So the, the fanatics feed the likes of Al, who is very upset with Islamic fanaticism. But I can assure your listeners that having traveled in these countries and knowing many Muslims, they're not, the extremists like ISIS are not representative. Now, has the, have the Muslim nations, have the Arab nations persecuted Christians and Jews? Absolutely. And they can be faulted on, on many things, but the notion that ISIS's caliphate really represents the ideal and vision like uh, by Muhammad and the Quran is just silly. Yes, you can pick out 
a verse here or there, just like the fundamentalists do when they want to say that, uh, you know, that homosexuality is evil. They'll go back to something in the Old Testament where, you know, you should be executed if you do sodomy or something like that, you know, and it's, a, it's some oral tradition from 3,000 years ago, you know. So the extremists kind of serve each other. So, you know, in my chapter, I try to point out there's some good things about it. Now, let me tell you why I don't believe in Islam, my negative <laughs> okay. critique of it. Okay. The problem with Islam is the same problem that uh, Jews and Christians have, essentially, and that is the belief in roughly the same all-powerful, all-knowing God who supposedly created us and this wonderful earth. And it says in the beginning, in Genesis, it said, God looked out after working on the earth for six days and declared it good. So as I argue at GodReconsidered.com, you can take that to the bank as the fundamental point of view of Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, and ask yourself, is the evidence of history that the world is good? And you know, people don't want to think about this stuff, but I devote a chapter to a look at history and prehistory and just infectious diseases, earthquakes, tsunamis. Uh, the amount of suffering in history, as far as we can go back and as far as we can tell from earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and everything, uh, is one of absolute misery. That doesn't mean there isn't beauty in life and certainly in modern times. But, no, you know, the fact that we didn't even know what germs were until recently, there was no immunization, no modern medicine, no understanding of sanitation because God wanted to talk about, you know, the Ten Commandments rather than, you know, how to be safe, how to live right, and what is the point of Earth life if 90% of the people are, you know, caught up in a death spiral and trying to survive and caught between civil wars and, you know, falling into the cracks of an earthquake and one thing or another? I mean, the evidence would lead one to believe that God isn't just not benevolent, that God is as one of the famous atheist bestsellers said, he's the most evil creature in fiction. So I would say the problem, fundamental problem with Islam is this notion that God is good, number one. Number two, the reason we're all supposed to go to hell if we don't become Muslim or fundamentalist Christian is uh, that, you know, we are, we have free will. Well, the science is, and just logic tells you, that at best we have a small amount of free will that we can exercise moving against all the genetics and all the brainwashing in childhood. And so we are not fully free creatures. And, you know, what, what they want to do basically is wave a magic wand, the monotheists, and say God is good and he's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. So yes. he knows the future. He created us, and he gave us free will. Well, I'm sorry to tell them, but free will <laughs> is sorry to meaningless. 
if you define it that way. Well, <laughs> it is very, very interesting. We've got Scott Smith with us today. He joins us live, and uh, we've got a heck of a deal. Uh, IQ Alvarezoli was was with us today, and um, we were talking about religion. Now, um, have you ever run into anybody that is just so committed one side or the other when when you discuss religion with folks? Or uh, kind of give us your feedback on that. Well, first of all, I actually have a, a what I call a forewarning instead of a foreword in my book, which is that people are committed enough that I've got enough compassion, I say, don't read this book. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like that um, book from the 70s, uh, Steal This Book. But I, I'm really sincere because people who are committed and have a spiritual path, as I said earlier, uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it's good to meditate, go to the temple, uh, do the five prayers a day of Islam, and so forth. Spiritual path, something bigger philosophy to give life meaning, all that is good. What I'm aiming my message at is the agnostics, the unaffiliated, the people who have become disillusioned with the religion they grew up with, and they're very disturbed by the suffering in the world, and they're wondering, is there any kind of philosophy that can explain this, or are we just all accidents and and uh, evolution brought us to this point. Maybe the so-called gods are actually aliens who, you know, planted the seed here, and they're looking over us. And and I've got an approach that acknowledges the value of religion, and still says that if you get into the nitty-gritty, uh, you'll find that you know most of the claims of all religions, including the fashionable Buddhism and Christianity that the fundamentalist conservative version, and certainly what Al was talking about, the extremist version, that these things don't actually make any logical sense. And that said, I don't leave readers hanging. In the last chapters of my book, I kind of go through the logic of it and say that if you accept the reality of the supernatural, and I have some chap- three chapters on that uh, at the beginning, then at the same time you don't buy into the logic of traditional religions, East or West, then what are you left with? And so I kind of go through a checklist and say that I believe, based on you know decades of looking at religions and traveling the world, that, the, that reality is not simply this material reality, that it's what I call a shamanistic universe. There are spirits, and there's a hierarchy of spirits. And I th- and most of the fathers of quantum physics believed in an impersonal god, our intelligence behind the order of the universe, which is kind of surprising when you think about it. And Einstein and... Uh, all the fathers of quantum physics uh, believe in that kind of God. And it, it's actually not too different from the deism that most of the founding fathers embraced during the Enlightenment. So an intellectual person who wants to be philosophically logical could embrace a religion that accepts kind of a divine order 
that accepts that there are spirits that survive death and that like the shamans we can have some kind of relationship with them through prayer and ritual so at the end of the day what i concluded was that the quran and the old testament and the new testament and these other scriptures of buddhism hinduism and so forth um, they're like blind men feeling the elephant they're all kind of part of the truth and then you mix in human traditions and I finally concluded that there was only one religion that stood up to scrutiny, and that was Gnostic Christianity. And it was one of the chief rivals, perhaps the chief rival, to what we now know as Catholicism in the early centuries of Christianity. Forms of it spread to Europe as late as medieval times. It was known in China uh, I think in the ninth century, it became uh, in different forms a world religion, sometimes known as Manichaeism. But the Christian version of it, I came to accept as probably the most accurate description of reality. And the fundamental difference between it and all other religions is that it says the Creator God uh, is evil, and that the creation of the earth was essentially an accident and that's why there's no real evidence of uh, intelligent design in evolution and that I don't happen to believe that aliens came here and directed the whole thing but there certainly is some kind of phenomenon that probably supernatural interference and I do believe that there are beings, angelic beings, perhaps the dead, uh, you can have a relationship with that can benefit your life. So what I call it is shamanistic Gnosticism, and it acknowledges the suffering in the world is largely meaningless. There are no great lessons to be derived from it. You can become a better person, but it's not because God is punishing you or God wants you to, you know, learn some things. And so I kind of, by a process of elimination, including taking a really good look at atheism, uh, I decided, you might even say this is not only uh, a message for Gnostics, but for agnostics, or you might even say mystical, open-minded <laughs> agnostics who can't side with any formal religion, but on the other hand, they're not entirely convinced that you know, we're just a bunch of atoms bumping together and uh, then we wink out. So that's kind of my long-winded answer about whether I've been able to convert people. Um, some people are open-minded. Some people are searching more than ever, I think. Uh, most people have a pretty hard time, though, leaving. However they were brought up with, that gets pretty deeply embedded. Well, uh, we have run out of time, Scott. I appreciate it. It was getting hot. It was a fantastic conversation today. You, uh, uh, you're, you're such a great sport, sir, for coming in here and taking the fire from IQ. And uh, before, before we let you go, I know that we talk to you each and every Thursday. Give us a preview of what we're going to have tomorrow, my friend. Well, uh, since we haven't tortured Christianity enough, uh, I'll go into some detail. Let's say we'll crucify it. There you go. In your, uh, in your show. There you go. Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate talk it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. Bye-bye.
appreciate it. Scott Smith with us today. He is fantastic. We are going to take a timeout and uh, come back with more here in the program. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.